The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Alrighty, boys and girls, welcome to the Monday edition of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the luscious Laura. Say hi, Laura. <laughs> hi. I'm just trying to come up with more and more names for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> Wait till I get to the kinky ones. <laughs> you oh, know great, those are my favorite. Oh, great pony trainer of love. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's going to be stuck in my head fucking forever. forever. Yes, <laughs> that's permanently in my... It is because I watched that video. Yes. And I just, I shook my head. I'm not shaming anybody. If that's your deal, that's your deal. But I just shook my head. And went, that, number one, some of these girls were really large. And some of the guys pulling them were really small. Yeah. And all I could do was like, I was applauding going, dude, you're a strong motherfucker. Yeah. Because God damn. Like one chick, I'm not kidding. She had to, she, if she weighed 350, she was a pound. And this dude may have weighed, I don't know, maybe 150 small 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 dude right and pulling pulling her chariot and i'm all son of a bitch (laughs) you just have to get like a good a good start you know like (laughs) i'm like dude you must be fucking doing some hella cardio yeah fuck me running so okay we're gonna change up today a little bit we're gonna be doing massacre monday because laura had a great idea yeah i decided to do something a little different (laughs) massacre me baby so today I'm going to talk about the, the Lubies Massacre, which sounds like it's, you know, slightly obscene. The Lubies Massacre. <laughs> so. I'm going to start telling my girlfriend that. Yeah. Guess what, baby? I'm going to massacre you tonight. Yeah. Better be ready. So here's what happened. I The, the setup here is a little different, too. So I'm going to start with the incident itself. Um, on October 16th, 1991, at 12.39 p.m., 35-year-old George Hennard, an unemployed former merchant seaman. <laughs> merchant marine. Why, why is it always that <laughs> it always starts with seaman? That's what I'm saying. A lot of problems start with start, seaman. Start that way. Um, he drove his blue 1987 Ford Ranger pickup truck through the plate glass front window of Luby's Cafeteria in Colleen, Texas. Uh, October 16th was Boss's Day, and the cafeteria was unusually crowded with around 150 people. Hennard then began firing from inside the truck while holding a Glock 17 and a Ruger P89. Uh, the first victim was veterinarian Michael Griffith. Hennard exited the truck and yelled, All women of Colleen and Belton are vipers. This is what you've done to me and my family. This is what Bell County did to me. This is payback day. <laughs> he then opened fire on the patrons and staff with both pistols. I didn't know I can get away with that. Like, seriously. Because uh, I've been through some messy divorces. I, I, I never thought about <laughs> like crashing my truck into anything, going, all of you women around Portland Metro area are vipers. Fuck you. Fuck all of you. Fuck all of you. (laughs) I was married to a midget, for God's sakes. It's a half a person. I had to pay full price for the divorce. For that, yeah. (laughs) Uh, He then opened fire, yes, on the patrons and staff with both pistols. Hennard then circled around the cafeteria, selectively picking his victims. Hennard said, you bitch, to a woman before fatally shooting her. 
he saw another woman hiding underneath a bench near the serving line and said, hiding from me, bitch, before shooting her dead. This guy is mad. Real mad. He reminds me. I think he watched too many Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yes. That's like a a very Freddy thing to say. (laughs) Right. It's a quirky Freddy thing. Yeah. You know, I fucking, I wouldn't have been surprised if he would look down and said something like, you know, it's your last meal, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Like something like that. I'm your boyfriend now. That's my favorite night. I'm your lunch date now. Before shooting her dead, yeah. Hynard then approached Steve Ernst, who was hiding underneath a table before shooting him. Steve then rolled over, holding his stomach. The shooter then approached a woman with her baby. He barked at the woman, saying, You with the baby, get out before I change my mind. So at least he oh. had a he had a little, little bit of decency there, right? Yeah, yeah. I, can, I could totally dig that. I mean, he's not going to kill her or her kid. Or her kid, yeah. Just so a little bit of empathy, and maybe I, a little. I'm okay yeah. with this guy. <laughs> no, seriously. Sometimes you just want to fucking kill people. I and he I didn't totally kill get a baby. That, yeah. He didn't kill her mom. Anything like that. Kudos, dude. Like, totally. Yeah. I mean, it told me, well, what you did is kind of a dick move. Cause yeah. I don't want to get shot like when my fat ass is sitting down having lunch, but you didn't kill the baby or the mom. So, right. There you go. So the woman ran out holding the baby in her arms. I would too. Yeah. I'd be like, you don't have to tell me twice. I'd be like, thank you. I'm out. <laughs> Sorry about you, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> I got to pass. After the woman left, Hennard shot Ernst's wife in the arm, which went clean through and instead killed 70-year-old Venice Ellen Hennahan, Ernst's mother-in-law. <laughs> Wording is is bad today. That might not have been a bad thing for, uh, <laughs> for him. For him. He might be like, <laughs> oh, thank God. I, I'm not trying to make light of a mass murder. Or or anything like that, or a massacre. But think about it. What if, just hypothetically, they were sitting there, and old Ernst is sitting there thinking, this woman is such a twat. I can't fucking believe I married her daughter. Her mom's turned out, her, her daughter's turned out to be just like her mother. God damn. Oh God, yeah. And now she's living with us. She bitches about everything. I pee in the middle of the night. She bitches. And then she dies. <laughs> no, it's Leaves terrible. At least me have my last few minutes here without her <laughs> bitching at me. Yeah, right. uh, you know what? I've got five minutes to live, but uh, it's going to be a peaceful fucking five <laughs> yeah. minutes. That's what the hell it's going to be. Mind if I finish my coffee before you murder me? Just, please. No, please. Just... It's the only peace I've had in the yeah. last 50 years. Yeah. yeah that, that could be it. <laughs> Uh, during a brief lull in the shooting, Hennard approached the table of 28-year-old Tommy Vaughn in the rear of the cafeteria, huddled on the floor beside a window. Vaughn decided to throw himself through the window, creating an escape route for others. Dozens of people rushed. They pushed, shoved, knocked each other down as they tried to get out the window, tried to make their escape, and when police arrived a few minutes later, a third of the victims had managed to escape. Thank you, Tommy. No kidding, man. Superhero Tommy over there. Uh, Hennard reloaded at least three times before police arrived and engaged in a brief shootout. Wounded, he retreated to an area between the two bathrooms, but people were hiding in these bathrooms and had blocked their doors, so he wasn't getting in the bathrooms. Let me in. I gotta pee. Nope. Get a bleep. <laughs> I'm sorry that I shot you guys. Come on. Fuck you. <laughs> we can all be friends. <laughs> it's gone way past that. For, forgive and forget, remember? <laughs> Come on, guys. Police repeatedly ordered Hennard to surrender, but he refused, saying he was going to kill more people. 
He was shot twice more by police in the abdomen, having depleted ammunition for one of his weapons. And his injuries growing more severe, he finally realized, well, shit, I'm not going to make it out of this. And uh, shot himself in the head with the last bullet that he had. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) He had shot and killed 23 people, 10 of whom were single shots to the head at point-blank range and wounded another 27 Oh, he wouldn't have lived long in Texas anyway. Anyway, that, there's, no. That is one of those cases where, because there, there, there's that law in Texas where if, I think it's like three, if three credible witnesses saw you do something fucked up like that, you don't get to wait on death row forever. You go no, you're the done. Fucking yeah. Long. Good. Yeah, he's, like figuring, <laughs> he's probably figuring, look, I'm going to die within two weeks of this shit. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to go out on my own terms here. Mm-hmm. I might as well just save the taxpayers some money. Yeah. And, you know, let's, let, let's paint the walls. So then I included some of the the victims' accounts here, some of the people who lived. Um, Pastor Kirby Lack and his friend, veterinarian Michael Griffith, met for lunch at Luby's in Colleen. The pair talked about life and death. (laughs) What a day to be talking about that, right? (laughs) Hypothetically, what if somebody did crash in here and start shooting everybody? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it gets better. Lack said to Griffith... Uh, Lack said Griffith told him he was afraid no one would attend his funeral one day. Jesus Christ, that's fucked up. Like, you shouldn't have been talking about this. Uh, I said, Mike, I love you. You're my friend. I'll be there. And that was the last words we ever said to each other, Lack said. Holy shit. Yeah. Seconds later, George Hennard drove his truck through the front window of the restaurant. Um, And unsure of what was happening, Lack said he ran over to help the injured. Um, He... He crawled out of the truck, and when he looked at me, he just came up and pointed the gun at me. I started moving before he shot, so he missed me, Lack said. You're one lucky son of a bitch. Yeah, um, no shit, man. What followed was 12 minutes of mayhem. The shooter circled three times, grabbing people from under tables, shooting them point blank. We know that. Um while Lack and his friends were figuring out a plan, Susanna Hupp and her parents sat across the room in shock. Hupp's father rushed the gunman, giving his life to try and save others. My dad broke away from my grasp and ran at the man. He saw my dad coming and simply turned to him and shot him, Hupp said. My dad went down in the aisle between me and the gunman and I knew he wasn't going to make it. Hupp said she and others escaped after a man inside broke out a back window, who we know is Tommy. Uh, but her mother stayed behind to be with her husband of 47 years. They had just had their 47th wedding anniversary, and she wasn't going anywhere without him, she said. As she cradled my father and the cops began to arrive, they saw the gunman walk to my mother, and they say she looked up at the gunman, put her head down, and he pulled the trigger. And that's how the cops knew which one was the gunman. Jesus yeah. Christ, man. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what actually does upset me about this. This is a, a an example of somebody who is an irresponsible gun owner. Mm-hmm. And because of that one person, it makes all of us responsible gun owners look bad yeah they're like well you have a gun that means you're gonna end up killing a bunch of people yeah i know i'm not gonna kill a bunch of people don't get me wrong and i've said this on the show before if somebody breaks into my house to me you know you, that's fair game you yeah. broke into my house broke into my house that means that you don't value your life that's yeah. just flat out it because you're gonna leave in a fucking body bag yeah um and i won't think twice about it no but 
I'm not going to go out there. I'm, and I've had some bad days because, you know, I'm, I'm on antidepressants and shit like that. Oh, me too. <laughs> it's never crossed my mind to grab any of my firearms and go to, like, let's say, the mall. Yeah. And start opening fire or, or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the closest I get to that, seriously, <laughs> is I, if I'm walking through a crowded spot and I'm in a bad mood, I look around, look at these fucking assholes. This guy over there fucking, what the hell is he even looking at that goddamn shirt for? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, dude. That thing's fucking, well, you're hideous too, so might as well buy you peckerhead. Yeah. Like, that's the worst that I get. I grumble to myself a lot. Well, this is why John drives most of the time, because I'm a serious road rager, and I would definitely not be able to have a gun in the car. Yeah. I... On the rare occasion that I drive myself somewhere by myself, I'm like, well, I only yelled at like four people in this trip, but the first one was within five minutes of getting in the car kind of thing. And you I and just... I should take a road trip together. Yeah. Because this would be <laughs> great. We should actually take a road trip together and fucking film it. Yes. Because <laughs> Dawn has heard my coping mechanism in driving. Yeah. Like, and this was just yesterday, as a matter of fact, we're talking, and it, it, we were actually talking about the show. We're talking about um, our Friday episode. Yeah. And uh, driving along, and it's a good conversation. I'm like, well, psychologically, I think that this is what's happening right here. Then all of a sudden, I'm like, get the fuck out of my way. What the hell, you cocksucker? Yep. God damn it, yep. motherfucker. Yep. Son of a... Move! And That's I'm, me. I, yeah. yeah. I went right back to, so can you give me information yes. on this and this? <laughs> because I think that would add context to, to this statement over here. And it adds content as well. She's so freaking used to it now. It's that, like nothing ha- It's yeah, yeah. I do the it's, same thing. It's like thing. nothing happened. Yeah. And it just goes flawless. Yeah. Like, you know, she's like, yeah, no problem. I'm going to take a look for that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This is just another day in the life of crazy ass Scott because he lost his fucking mind. <laughs> so I was like, I only flipped one person off today oh in my this God. trip. And that's good. So I have a story. I don't know if I've told you guys this. So this was a couple of years ago. Um, it's probably about three or four years ago, um, but the trucking company that I'm with, I'm coming off of Marine Drive from northbound mm-hmm. uh, onto Marine Drive on, on I-5. So I go to make the left turns, two left turn lanes there, and I'm going to get around this container hauling in front of me. I'm halfway in the middle of both lanes, getting ready to make my, you know, my, my pass. Yeah. This guy tries to pass me. Dude, I'm already committed, so you know, piss off. Right. I get around the dude, not a big deal. The guy pulls alongside of me. He's got a sunroof open. He's flipping me off. Fuck oh, you. Oh, my God. Oh, no, I got him, man. I look oh. back at him, and I, I mouth him out. You're hot. <laughs> then I blew him a couple of kisses. Meanwhile, this dude's face is turning beet red. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like, rah, 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 rah. I'm like, yeah. Then I, you know, may, may have called down to him something like, you're sexy. You know, like he's going to have a coronary while he's driving. <laughs> well, he points to my, the door, which has the, you know, the trucking company's logo on there. And yeah. And points to his phone. All I did was shrug like, yeah, fucking go ahead. Go ahead. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. So I get back to the yard. I <laughs> back into my spot. And here comes Chief White Claw. Oh, boy. He comes out. What the hell just <laughs> happened? On Marine Drive. I'm mean, let me stop you right there. Let me there. tell you what really happened. So I will bet that he didn't say that I flipped him off. No, he didn't say that. That I cussed at him? No. Did you mouth your heart? <laughs> yes, I did, in fact. And you're I did. sexy and blow him a kiss. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Yeah. He, and it worked, didn't it? It, <laughs> like, did. it was great. He called our former uh, safety uh guy. This was so like four safety guys ago, and was just unloading on him just unloading me and there's a reason why i do that because number one 
Here's what I get out of it. I get a great story that I have been telling for at least three years, three, yes. maybe four years. I will bet to this day, every time he sees one of our trucks, he sits there and goes, that son of a bitch. Yes. Yes. And he, he thinks about you. <laughs> I love it when you think about me. If you're out there, Big Daddy, oh, you God. are hot. <laughs> That's good. Yes, That's that right. is a touching touch story. my heart. And yes. then I touch my penis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not right in the head. I need Jesus or something. <sighs> Fuck. So, uh, I'm going to bring it back to the killing now. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. Instead of me wanting to kill that yeah. ass of his. Yeah. It needs a stabbing. So, <laughs> the shooter circled back around to where Lack and a few others were hiding, Killing more people, including Lack's friend, Griffith, he said. Um, I had just smeared some blood on my face and covered my face with my hand, hoping he would think I was dead, Lack said. He kicked me. I didn't move, and he reached down and stuck the barrel of the 9mm to the back of my head, and just as he pushed, I literally said my last prayer. I thought I was dead. You know, what too? Like, oh, that's it for me. Scott, Scotty's, but with me, my mouth finally got me killed. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I made one too many dick jokes. <laughs> I blew a kiss at a dude. No, no, this, it's my time. It's been a good run. Yeah. So the shooter looked up distracted by the approaching police officers and shot just off to the side of Lack's head. Holy shit. He shot, and it was deafening. Everything was like a ringing noise. I lay there for a second, and I opened my eyes and thought, that jerk missed me. How do you miss? (laughs) Oh, my God. Have you ever been to a shooting range or been out shooting? Yes. Yeah, that shit's fucking loud. Yes, it is. It's not like in the TV where you're pop. No, that shit is loud. You wear fucking earplugs. That's why. Yeah. So now I will give you a little background here about George. George Pierre Hennard was born on October 15th, 1956 in Sayre, Pennsylvania, uh, to a wealthy family. He was the son of a Swiss-born surgeon and a homemaker. He had two younger siblings, a brother, Alan, and a sister, Desiree. From the age of five, Hennard and his family moved across the country as his father worked at several army hospitals. Hennard's family later moved to New Mexico, where his father worked at the White Sands Missile Range near Las Cruces. After graduating from Mayfield High School in 1974, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy and served for three years until he was honorably discharged. And I noticed that a lot where in the military, these people are fine. Like, it, it, it really seems to keep them in line, you know? Right. I think it's because a lot of people need the structure yeah. and enjoy the structure even when they say, well, I'm glad that I'm out because nobody can tell me when to go to bed or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But some people truly fucking need that. Yes. I could see that. Yeah. Well, that's... No, and, that, and that's I true. That's what that. the Marine Corps does. The Marine yeah. Corps tears you down, and then what they do after they get you all disassembled, basically, yeah. is they build you back up. Yep. And they make you a killing machine, because when, you, when you're in the Marines, you've got, basically, you know, they've got firefighters and other things and, and what have not, but 
basically they're teaching you you need to kill people. Yeah, That's what you, Marines well, yeah. do. Marines fucking kill people. They don't bake cookies. They're not making pies. No. They're trained to kill people. Yeah. They need serious therapy before they have to come back to regular life. Yeah. Oh, they, they they do. When when you get out of the military, there's like a month long period or something like that. It's like a month uh, where you get reintroduced into how to function. Well, it's, it's not long period. enough. Oh no! <laughs> well, it, for everybody, it's kind of different. You know, That's some, true. Some people, yeah. you know, can go through it and get out, and they're like, "Hey, I'm no worse for wear. Everything's yeah. fine." I got a lot of friends that are former military, and they're they're great. And then there's others. <laughs> who will never be the same. Yeah, it's like, ah, not so much. No. Not so much. Like, you look over at him and go, buddy, you okay? You got that fucking crazy-ass look. You got that look, yeah. You know there's no Iraqis around here or nothing, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not like, there's no insurgents or anything like that. Yeah. You calm the fuck down, have a beer, think about your fucking chill. actions. Just chill. <laughs> yeah, just chill for a little bit there, dude, because we just want... It's like this. This is just a barbecue, motherfucker. Like nobody's fucking trying to kill you. It's just a barbecue. Yeah. So after he was discharged, he he later worked as a merchant mariner or a seaman, you know, um, but was dismissed for drug use. So there we go. He obviously was not. Okay. I am all for drug use, and here's why. Hear, hear me <laughs> out. Hear me out. <laughs> me, yeah, I totally. <laughs> Beyond marijuana, or as as they used to say when we were growing up, the marijuana's in the reefers. Yeah. Um, different people cope in different ways. Yes. So if your coping mechanism is that you're using drugs, but you're still functioning, you know, going to work every day. I mean, when I was when I was using, I went to work every day. You no, know, I, I did functioned too. every day. Without a problem. I mean, it wasn't like I was sitting there going, oh, Scott looks like he's all strung out on the fucking cocaine and and, and I mean, I, I looked like I hadn't slept in a long time. I, 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 it's always, I thought I was like maintaining really well, but I, I look back now and I'm embarrassed because I know I looked like shit. Oh, I know I looked like shit. There was no doubt yeah. about that. But um, actually, I used to use Preparation H up underneath my Under eyes. your eyes, yes. Yeah. You wear the bags? Yeah, yep. it was great. Shrinks all that down. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, I was functioning. I, I, I'm still, I was still a member of society, and you know, and didn't have a problem. I think there should there should be an intervention if it takes you below that. Like if you're strung out on the street and you're robbing people, yeah, there's we a got a problem. problem. But I don't know. I just I have a very different view. This is where I was telling you guys. Like some some of my shit, you know, because uh, by and large I'm a conservative person. Is conservative, but I got shit that's very, very liberal, and that's one of them. Yeah, that's one of them. Just like the right now, the hot topic is abortions because oh of Roe versus Wade. Yeah, it's none of my fucking business what a woman does with her body. Yeah, or what a couple decides on. If a couple, um, you know, if she's pregnant, a couple decide, hey man, we just can't do this we, right we, now. We can't do this. You know, let's just let's take care of it. That's their business. It ain't it ain't a goddamn bit of mine. No. Man. I, I didn't fuck her. I was in the room when they were fucking. Not my business. Exactly. Well, interestingly enough, there's a, uh, something that was brought up this morning we were listening to a podcast. Ironically, we're talking about a podcast. Ah, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> about what was included in the Constitution, and that's where the whole concept of that. Well, the constitutionality of computers didn't 
Right. So, and, and the concept of privacy didn't exist then. So, if they actually do, like, take abortion down this road, computer crime may not become a crime. That kind of makes sense. It's a slippery slope. It, it really is, you know. It's just it's fucked up. Anyway, tell me more about victims. Um, <laughs> so, Victimize me. Oh, so, that's not right either. I, you know I you want me to. Maybe a little bit. Maybe I want to be your pony. <laughs> Maybe so, it's been crossed my mind to be your pony. See, that's why you can't stop thinking about it. Maybe a little bit. Maybe I smack my own ass <laughs> with a riding crop. You never know. Weird shit happens in my bedroom. Don't so... Judge. After he was dismissed for his drug use, several months later, he did enroll in a drug treatment program in Houston. Um, earlier in the investigation of the massacre, the Colleen police chief said that Hennard, quote, had an evident problem with women for some reason. I've seen that a lot, yeah. Yeah. After his parents divorced in 1983, his mother, his, his mother, his father is what I'm trying to say, uh, moved to Houston and his mother moved to Henderson, Nevada. Oh, just south the, of Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, the Glock and the Ruger pistols, which Hennard used, were purchased in February of 91 at Mike's Gun House, a gun shop in the town of Henderson, Nevada. Hennard had begun to work at several different jobs, including construction crews in South Dakota and Colleen, while living part-time in Henderson, Nevada with his mother in a red-brick colonial home in Belton that his father had purchased in 1980, shortly after move- moving to Fort Hood. <clears throat> Hennard stalked two sisters, 23-year-old Jill Fritz and 19-year-old Jana Jemigan, who lived two blocks away from him in his neighborhood prior to the massacre. He sent them a five-page letter in June, part of which said, Please give me the satisfaction of someday laughing in the face of all those mostly white, treacherous female vipers from those two towns, being Colleen and, and Belton, who tried to destroy me and my family. And also, you think the three of us can get together someday? <laughs> he also- I love young love. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I think that I am actually, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to send my girlfriend something like that. You know what? You are a dirty viper, white woman. And hey, can we get together? Yeah, I mean, because it's romantic. A little tear in my eye. Oh my god, I fucking hate women, but I'm feeling very into sisters right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a porn for that. <laughs> Say it. You're welcome. <laughs> he he also wrote that he was truly flattered knowing I have two teenage groupie fans. Like, well, I don't know what's going on in this man's head. Christ, man. This guy's got, this is another one. He's got more issues than Reader's Digest. Yeah. <laughs> so, possible motive. Hennard was described as reclusive and belligerent with an explosive temper. He was discharged from the Merchant Marine on, on May 11th, 89 for possession of marijuana. Oh, I see. That's not even drug use. No, it's weed, not. Man. Yeah. Fucking A. And racial incidents. They they don't elaborate exactly on what, well, they we do. We can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> the, that same month, Hennard's semen papers were. <laughs> semen paper. <laughs> yeah. His Kleenex papers has slow swimmers. <laughs> 
were suspended after he had a racial argument with another shipmate. Numerous reports included accounts of Hanard's expressed hatred of women, and an ex-roommate of his said he hated blacks, Hispanics, and gays. He said women were snakes and always had derogatory remarks about them, especially after fights with his mother. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Dude, dude, dude. You can't hate women and gays at the same time. Pick a side. Pick, yeah, like, seriously, pick one. Pick a fucking side. Either, either say, hey, you know what? I'm going to tolerate women. Or, hey, eh, maybe I want to, you know, have a, have a dick in my mouth. Either one. <laughs> just come on. You- I mean, I mean you, you already have your semen papers. I'm just right? saying. <laughs> <laughs> so- Who wants to go down with the semens in case the ship sinks? Survivors of the shootings later said Hanard had passed over men to shoot women specifically. Uh, 14 of the 23 people killed were women, as were many of the wounded. In 1990, Hanard called Isaiah R. Williams, a port agent for the National Maritime Union in Wilmington, California, stating he needed a letter of recommendation in order to regain his papers and rejoin the Merchant Marine. I don't recall having given him one, Williams claimed. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Uh, Hanard had learned in mid-February that his attempt to be reinstated had been denied, which was about the time that he bought those guns. Oh, well, there you go. Um, Several months later... Oh, this was not, because several months later is when he went into the drug treatment program. So just February is not a good month for him, really. Well, what Valentine's it comes down Day, to. all that yeah. stuff. He hates women, doesn't want to yeah. buy flowers or chocolates. He's in the sisters. I'm getting a pretty good picture of him. <laughs> pretty good picture. Uh, so he hates women unless your sisters. If it's a... Okay, no. I, I totally get it. Totally get it. I've, I've been stuck on that porn heart. That, that porn heart page myself. <laughs> for a while. <laughs> yeah, for uh, maybe a little while, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, more than you know, man. <laughs> Around two months before the shooting, Hennard entered a convenience store in Belton to buy breakfast. Mead, the clerk of the store, claimed that Hennard had leaned over the counter and said, I want you to tell everybody if they don't quit messing around my house, something awful is going to happen. Oh, what a place to get it around the community. Let's stop at the convenience store. <laughs> Look, man, I need you to do some PR work for me. Yeah, okay? um, you just want to tell everybody who comes in here. Where are you from, Missouri? Okay, look, this dude said if he quit, don't quit messing around his house. That's great. Quit whacking off in my shed. (laughs) Those boys are whacking. Goddamn spider monkeys. (laughs) Goddamn spider monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have that kind of day. Cool. All right. A week and a half before the shooting, Hennard collected his paycheck at a cement company in uh, Cooperus Cove and announced he was quitting. <laughs> he also wondered aloud what would happen if he killed someone. <laughs> well, you either die or go to prison. Right. I mean, that's pretty well. Yeah. Two choices there. He got to talking about some of the people in Belton and certain women that had given him problems, a co-worker, Bubba Hawkins, claimed. Why? Why? <laughs> Why do we have to have somebody who sounds that much like a hillbilly with the name right. of Bubba? That's fucked up. Well, yeah. This guy didn't, though. He was just a co-worker. I was uh, working with him. Yeah. I had myself one of them PBRs, and he came in here talking all kinds of crazy stuff. (laughs) 
And he kept saying, watch and see, watch and see. <laughs> I was a watching, but I was about a case of beer in, <laughs> so I wasn't a saying much. On his 35th birthday, October 15th of 1991, Hennard spoke with his mother on the phone. Later that evening, while eating a cheeseburger and french fries outside of Belton, Hennard had a sudden outburst of rage as he watched television coverage of Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearings. When an interview with Anita Hill came on, he just went off, Bill Stringer, a manager, said. He started screaming, You dumb bitch! You bastards opened the door for all the women! <laughs> quite the guy. Uh, he's such an elegant man. Right? It's it's a wonder why he didn't do way better with women. I'm just it's a fucking mystery right. at this point. What a lady killer, no pun intended. Quite literally, yes. So a little bit about the aftermath. Um the pink memorial listing the twenty three dead and an anti crime bill was scheduled for a vote in the US House of representatives the day after the massacre. Some of the Hennard victims had been constituents of Rep. Chet, Chet, Chet Edwards, and in response, he abandoned his opposition to a gun control provision that was part of the bill. The provision, which did not pass, would have banned some weapons and magazines like the one used by Hennard. Um, Families of the deceased victims, survivors, and policemen received counseling for grief, shock, and stress. Yeah. (laughs) The Texas State Rifle Association and others preferred that the state allow its citizens to carry concealed weapons. Democratic Governor Ann Richards uh, vetoed such bills, but in 95, her Republican successor, George W. Bush, signed one into force. The law had been campaigned for by Susanna Hupp, um, who was present at the massacre. It was both of her parents that died. Um, and Alphonse Al, <laughs> Gracia, and Ursula Susie. I don't know how that's yeah, I short don't, for that. Yeah, um, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she later testified that she would have liked to have had her thirty-eight revolver, but said it was 100 feet away in my car. She had feared that if she was caught carrying it, she might lose her chiropractor's license. Hupp testified across the uh, country in support of concealed handgun laws and was elected to the Texas House of Representatives in 1996. So definitely made a change in her life. It did. And I, I, now, here, here's my thing about guns and gun control. We don't blame the car. Right. When a drunk driver hits somebody. We blame the driver. Yes. We don't blame the knife when a serial killer stabs somebody. Why the fuck? A gun by itself is not dangerous. No. I have looked at my guns and I have yelled at them. I've tried. I've screamed <laughs> at them. Called them bad names. They didn't do shit. Right. They don't fire unless my hand is on them pulling the trigger. Yeah. I think that we need more. Number one, we need more gun safety. I agree. Definitely more safety classes and teach kids especially how to handle firearms safely. I agree. And my dad did that with me. I I was shooting guns. I couldn't even hold all the way like a rifle that he would prop on a sawhorse for me. Oh, nice. A little rifle rest for you? Yeah. Like I I learned early. (laughs) I accidentally almost shot my brother once, but that was not my dad's fault. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> well, here's the thing is I, I think about the school shootings and things like that when, when kids that are in their 20s go in and, and, you know, shoot a bunch of people. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, I was taught that firearms are tools. They're no different than a shovel, a hoe, an axe. They're all tools. Mm-hmm. And uh, like when you're working on a ranch, that firearm is a tool for protecting your cattle. Yes. Your cows. Yes. Um, and protecting the farm and hunting. And getting and getting food. Mm-hmm. It's never crossed my mind to take that tool and shoot other people in a mass way. No, you know, like I said, somebody breaks into my house—that's a totally different story. Or protecting my family and, uh, and you know, especially my son. Um, now we have made we, we demonized firearms. Yeah. So what is a kid going to do, or anybody going to do? And if when, when they feel like they're not being heard, where they're going to go for the worst thing that that, that they can get their hands on, right? Yeah. They're going to say it's a firearm. Yeah, let's go grab a gun because it's so demonized that when people see guns, they go, "Oh my God, he's got a gun!" Yeah, and they freak out. As opposed to you know gun owners like myself, I'm an idiot. I will draw down on somebody and go, "Okay, make your move, asshole." I might die. Don't get me wrong. I'm mm-hmm. not like invincible. But I'm not going to go out without a fucking fight. No. You know, you want to shoot me, that's fine. But you better fucking hope that your your aim's way better than mine, Haas. Well, and it's always like the... I don't even remember what show it was now, but the it was a, one of those real life... It was a dramatization of something, and the wife was always the one that was like, no guns in this house. I'm not having any guns in this house. And what, what happened was it was like a home invasion. And, of course, there were the guns were not in the house. The guns were out in the barn. Oh, shit. Uh, where her husband had to try and go get them and make, you know, it's like, had you just not been a bitch about that? Uh, like, your husband would be alive still. Oh, yeah, totally, man. That's my opinion on it, so. <laughs> right, and, and be a responsible gun owner. Yes. That's my other thing. Use safety locks on your firearms. Right. You know, so you can easily access them, but so that kids aren't going to be... And those, by all means, don't fucking sit there with a loaded fucking firearm that's, you know, that's easy for a kid to get to. To get to, yeah. Um, like, for example, the, the, the gun that sleeps next to my bed with me is my Smith & Wesson 45. Yeah. It's loaded. There's nothing in the pipe. Right. Everything's in the mag. Yeah. It's one... It, 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 there's reasons for it. Number one, it's safer, and the safety is still on. But two, nothing is more intimidating to an assailant than hearing that chick, chick exactly of a semi-auto fucking forty-five, and then they're looking down the barrel of a fucking hand cannon. Yeah. Yeah, knives would work. Yes. Yeah, fair enough. To a gunfight. It's just how you roll. <laughs> they, they never see me coming because I use camouflage condoms. <laughs> I'm hidden. Just say it. Okay, so let's go back to this. Okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that shot come from? <laughs> it's real tree camo, baby. <laughs> Left my glow in the dark ones in the closet. 
So, yeah, there's a pink granite memorial stands behind the Colleen Community Center with the date of the event and the names of those killed. And to this day, the Luby's Massacre remains the sixth deadliest mass shooting to date in the U.S. In the aftermath of the Luby's Massacre, Colleen residents urged officials at Luby's corporate headquarters to let the the restaurant reopen so people wouldn't lose their jobs. Five months after the shootings, the cafeteria was back in business and stayed open for nine more years before permanently shutting its doors in September of 2000. Holy shit. Yeah. <coughs> Good fucking story, man. Thank you. I got nothing else to add. I already had my bad thing about Siemens and fucking, <laughs> you know, fucking tissue paper, goddamn guns and <laughs> knives and- you know, mother-in-laws that you're glad that died yeah. waiting five minutes to get killed. Hey, I, this is the most peace I've ever had. Let's just, <laughs> let's just let this ride for a little bit. Go kill someone else. I'll, no, I'll be here when you get back. It's cool. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to sit my coffee and watch, watch this all unfold. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check it out. Check out the website, if I can learn to talk today, at TwistedBlueLLC.com. <laughs> Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Just type in at Brutal Nation. We should pop right up, get the full story without any of my bullshit. But unfortunately, you get no semen with that either. <laughs> and you get no ponies or pony trainers. No. And you don't get no firearm talk or be talking about Pornhub. It's and just not as much fun. I don't think it is either because I, I enjoy talking about, you know, sisters. That's just, <laughs> sisters and ponies. That's, yes. that's on my mind now. Jesus Christ. I'm going to masturbate and finish this season. <laughs> All right. This show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. We will see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.